So I went to ask my advisor to for the ticket to go back to Vietnam. And he told me, no, you don't want to go back to Vietnam because if you want to get stuck there. And if you could get out, then you, you would take another place belonging to another person. But I told him, no, this, I have to share the, my faith with my family, with my wife, with my uh, daughter that we're going to have. I have to go back. You're listening to Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen-Meng, and welcome back. Hi there, it's Tracy. In today's episode, we bring you a love story told by Kim Tai, one of our 2023 Mavic Story Slam alums. During the Story Slam, Kim gave us a glimpse into her mother's life with her submission titled Namesake, a poetic piece about her mother's survival after the war in Vietnam. Kim and her sister recently sat down to interview their parents on their epic love story, one that takes you back to what it was like when they first met, the butterflies, the courtship, and the proposal. However, what was supposed to be the beginning of a beautiful life together was soon disrupted by the tragedies of war. And somehow, despite the trauma, her parents reflect on their story with such joy and laughter, reminding us that happily ever after can exist. My parents have an unlikely love story. My mother was the outspoken daughter of an affluent businessman. My father, a quiet kid from a poor family who worked nights while he went to school. Against all the odds, they are celebrating 50 years of marriage this year. For them, 50 years of marriage is no big deal. They're just living their life, doing their best, and loving each other along the way. But to say that my parents' love story is an inspiration is an understatement. For me, their relationship has always made me believe in love. Not a small, ordinary love, but an epic love that is resilient and persistent, dynamic and simple, and most of all, joyful. My sister and I sat down with them to hear their love story in full, to see what we could learn from their unbreakable bond, which has not only gotten them through 50 years of marriage, but through war, through the fall of Saigon, through my father being held captive in a Viet Cong re-education camp, and through my mother's two and a half year search for him in a newly communist Vietnam. Their story starts at a wedding in Saigon where my father was the best man and my mother the maid of honor. It was love at first sight. Well, for my dad, at least. I, I came from a poor family and my ultimate goal is to go uh, finish my uh, education so I could get out you know, of the poor situation where my, my family was. So I concentrate on my education. I did not have any romantic adventure, anything until I saw your mom. And when I saw her, I could not help myself. I was crazy about her, but uh, I didn't think that she was crazy 
about me at all. Doesn't want to marry with me. I have to beg, please marry with me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mom, what did you think when you first met Dad? Nerdy. <laughs> but his uh, friend very love him and look like a he or that with his friend. My friends told me when I yeah then when they saw me and when they talked to your mom and they told me they all told me that she was out of your league. And then I know I, I will try. And uh I tried to convince her of my love to her. Finally, I love him because he is very lovable. At the time, that there was a, a few guys either wealthier than me or more, had the common family a lot more prestigious than mine. And uh, she had a lot of choices. And I had a very uphill battle, but finally I won. After courting my mother for about six months and passing all her quote unquote dating tests, including getting toned and tanned, my parents finally went on their first date. My dad quickly won her over with his sincerity, work ethic and gentleness. They fell in love and got married two years later. Soon after my mom became pregnant with my sister and they were well on their way to starting a family. Okay, when 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 I got married to your dad, and I, I find out I'm pregnant with Quay, I am very 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 happy, and I think I'm lucky, and I choose the right one, your dad. I love him, and I choose the right one. Very very nice. Guy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Except as they continued to live their life, the world around them was burning to the ground. It was January 1975, and Vietnam was at the height of the war, when my father was invited to deepen his studies and do a job training in Washington, D.C. Glued to the TV, my father watched screaming soldiers being carried out on stretchers with headlines that spoke about the imminent victory of the Viet Cong on the news. He called my mother, but a bad phone connection would forever change the course of their lives. She wanted him to stay, but he couldn't hear her and decided to risk everything to return for my mom and his soon-to-be daughter. This was the first of many times over the course of the next two and a half years that one of them would put everything on the line for each other. A lot of people trying to call Vietnam and um, they asked me, why you want to call? And they say, uh, I explained the situation and I said, this is a question of life or death. I have to talk to my wife and whatever I hear from her, that will decide my what, what I'm going to do. And then when I ask her what uh, she prefers, whether I stay and stay waiting for her or I went back home to try to take her and uh, the baby we're going to go out get out of the country and we lost the communication. The, the connection was, uh, was not great. So we, we did not understand each other. The connection very, very bad. So he asked me, 
want to come to the, the United States or want him to come back to Vietnam. But I didn't hear anything, anything he didn't hear. Then I asked when he called, but we, the, the condition very bad. So I asked my parents, that means ông, ông bà ngoài. Ông ngoài said, tell him stay over there, don't come back to Vietnam. And we go, we'll go over there, tell him stay. Don't come back to, in Vietnam, but the condition really, really bad. And he, he, he need to come back for me and Quay. And he decided by himself, he come back to Vietnam. So I went to ask my advisor uh, to ask to, for the ticket to go back to Vietnam. And he told me, no, you don't want to go back to Vietnam because you want to get stuck there. And if you could get out, then you, you will take another place belonging to another person. But I told him, no, this I have to share the, my faith with my family, with my wife, with my uh, daughter that we're going to have. I have to go back. Yeah, I, I never regret that my decision. I had to share the, fam the, the faith with my family, with my wife, with my daughter. There's no question about it. My dad arrived back in Saigon just a week before my mother went into labor, four days before the fall of Saigon when Vietnam fell to communism. With the help of my mother's uncle, an Air Force colonel, they were able to get a military vehicle to transport them to the hospital. My mother remembers crumbled buildings, burned homes, decay, their hometown destroyed. Now just a distant memory, faint imprints of what was. Missiles blasted off in the distance, reverberations like heartbeats. Her uncle swerved and suddenly a bump, a jostle up and then down and another, and another, dead bodies on the streets, everywhere. When I in labor with Quay, it's very sad situation, remember? There was a airplane bombarding the presidential Paris, that the independent Paris. And your mom, at that time, was staying at the second floor. And was I, I was crazy about because second floor, if they dropped the bomb on the maternity hospital, it, it was very dangerous for her. So I ran to the, the hospital. I climbed the fence. It's about eight feet tall. And I fell down in the inside. <laughs> and then I just crawled into inside the, the hospital. And at that time, they moved everybody from the second floor down to the first floor, including your mom. Without any pain medication, my mother floated in and out of consciousness during labor, barely hearing my father trying to keep her awake. My sister was stuck in the birth canal and my mother was losing her strength to keep going. Finally, the doctor vacuum extracted out my sister, freeing her into this world saving both her and my mother. Suddenly, a beautiful, bellowing cry. They named my sister Quay for royal grace, and she was that for my parents for a moment when the world became still and quiet 
amidst the gunfire and smoke. She was exactly the burst of life and love they needed to get through the suffocating death and fear that surrounded them. Two days later, once they got home, my mother pushed for them to leave Vietnam as quickly as possible. My father and Bamai, my maternal grandmother, tried to get my mom to understand that she was too weak to travel, but my mother persisted. And then Quay was the newborn, and we didn't want to, you know, for her to face any change in the, the situation or the atmosphere. And your, your mom was very, very weak. She couldn't stand. You know, she couldn't stand up, and uh, but she she was strong mentally. She would she she determined to go, but she physically she could not do that. On the day Saigon fell, my mother, still weak from giving birth, grabbed the car keys and told my father that she would drive herself if he wouldn't. My father relented. As they drove through the streets towards the American embassy, the crowd bled in. My dad stopped the car before it was too late to turn around. The hysteria was palpable. Hundreds, thousands surrounded the embassy. Deafening screams, bodies climbing over other bodies, stepping and kicking one another, all hoping to get on the US barges and helicopters that would bring them to freedom. My mother watched this now iconic image unfold as she quietly cried, holding my sister in her arms watching her country disintegrate into chaos. Diveri, she said. Let's go home. Except she no longer knew where that was. In the coming weeks, the Viet Cong forced all civilians to relinquish their money and any valuable items to the government. He kêu mấy người bàn xuống thì họ đang cũng tự nhiên á. Tụi đó nó ập vô. Tụi Viet Cộng nó ập vô. In Vietnamese tradition, families commemorate a child's birth one month after they are born, with close family and friends. My mother remembers kneeling in front of the altar, praying for their safety, when the Viet Cong stormed into their home, taking everything they owned. This is good stuff, one of the Viet Cong officers said as he moved my sister's birthday cake to the floor to take the table from underneath them. Soon, the Viet Cong started enforcing their quote-unquote training onto any men who served in the South Vietnamese army. They first ordered any soldiers, not ranking officers, to report for Hup Thup, a re-education training. The first group returned after three days as promised. The next call was for any ranking officer to report for 30 days. My father, a second lieutenant, was included in this batch. These men did not return. We know now that this was a thinly veiled attempt at forcing millions of South Vietnamese men into prisoner of war camps. There was a faint hope that I had that hopefully after 10 days, they will release me back because I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't harm anybody. So maybe after 10 days, they will let me back like they let the soldier back in three days. They carried us to the seaport, okay? And then I saw the, the transport uh, ship. When I saw that, uh, oh my God, that's, it's my, my life is ended. 
So they stuffed us into the, uh, under the deck. Under the deck in the bottom of the ship and stay there in the bottom of the ship. And they close the, the front door of the ship together and we stay down there for the trip going to another island. The bottom of the ship was terrible. There was no uh, toilet, there's no way to go. And then if you have to go, have to do those stuff, you just have to do it right in that place. And there was a human waste floating the way we, we said. The moment they release us from the boat, we jump into the ocean and we feel like a heaven because it's so clean now. We don't have to live around the human waste anymore. The island, their own government kept the, the VC over there and they forced us to work. What they think is that the, the labor will make it good. Then they forced us to work it's a very meager ration of food. Every day, the, meal, the, the meals were just like nothing. When the typical meal, they gave us uh, rice, cooked rice, a little bit cooked rice, and salty, salty meat, salty fish, and most of them boiled. So occasionally, they gave us what we call the, um, the ocean ramen, okay? That's where you have a, a packet of ramen and then they put in a very big vat of water. The ramen, the floating there, a little bit here, a little bit there, just like in the ocean, in the long housing uh, unit and about 24 people a unit. And, and uh, 24 people, share one packet ramen. My mother spent the next year and a half searching for my father, not knowing where he was or if he was even alive. She remembers watching other wives protesting, demanding to know where their husbands were until the Viet Cong silenced them without mercy, spraying them down with a fire hose. Everyone told her to leave my father behind, that she had to prioritize herself and her newborn child. But against the advice of many, she decided to stay, to find and rescue my father. He came back for me, she said. Now it's my turn to go get him. I don't know um, what I'm thinking, but I always think have to be looking for him. And I always think he will come back. I prepare everything at home. I, I'm looking for the people who have the boat. And I uh, make friends with them. And I save money. Not much, but, but I, if you have to say, you say. Then I'm uh, I still looking for him. When I have time, I go look. She was very determined to get out of the country. So she looks for any opportunity. She knew a lot of people who had the boat, you know, ready to go. 
and she got contacted with them. And once they go, when I'm still in the camp, she kept, kept on looking for another one. And in the meantime, she worked very hard. She was a very frail. She was not in good health, but she had to carry away and try to make a living. My mother worked endless hours trying to scrape together any money to buy food for her and my sister. As a housewife, this was new terrain for her, but she was willing to try her hand at anything if it meant surviving. She first opened a food stand in the garage of her parents' old house without even knowing how to cook. Then she tried to deliver rice, but barely made any commission because she was too weak to move the large bags efficiently. By now, my mother, a petite 5'1", weighed in at under 80 pounds. She often gave my sister all the food they had so she could stay healthy. Meanwhile, my mother, still not fully recovered from her difficult labor, would go days without eating regularly. I cough, coughing a lot. The mother of the doctor. Eventually, my mother, malnourished, contracted tuberculosis and sought care from a doctor who offered her what she says was her favorite job at the time, being his drug mule. He asked her to deliver outlawed prescription medicines to people in need. The doctor have to get the the medicine through the black market, the antibiotics and other important uh, medicine in order to treat their patient. So that's why they now he hired your mom with uh, her very innocent looking. Then uh, she go to on right to to <laughs> to to buy drugs. It's hard to imagine my adorable, unassuming mother delivering drugs on the streets of Saigon, but it is a testament that she would do anything to make sure she and Kwe would survive, as she would do anything to find my father. As my sister and I heard my parents recount their story, neither of us seemed to be able to wrap our heads around how my mother found the will to keep going. They, uh, I think your mom has great determination to fight. And she, your mom never gives up. Wait, but my job is easier than your mom. When I was in camera concentration, my job was just trying to survive, trying not to die. And that, all oh, it was because I could not do anything. I stay, try to stay alive and uh, just hope for uh, some way, somehow, the future will come to us for us to get out of that situation. Anytime she heard news of a possible re-education camp location, she traveled to go see if she could find my father. She tried again and again and again to no avail. She told me she was at her wit's end at this point, not knowing where my father was or if he was even alive. It had been a year since my mother had heard from my father when she received a letter from him. She cried reading the already open letter, relieved that my father was still alive. As she read the letter again and again for comfort, she found a clue my father had planted, 
hoping it would lead her to him. Your mom is very smart. And then after one year and a half, they allow me to write a letter. Before they mail it, they have to open the letter and then they have to read it before they send it out. So there's no trick. But um, I, I give her a hint. My mother, dumbfounded by the question, remembered that he was commander on a base in Phu Quoc, a small island off the southwest coast of Vietnam, bordering Phnom Penh. She heard rumors of how some men were starting to get transported off the island back to the mainland, and took my father's question as a clue to where he was potentially being held captive. She found a group of women who were also searching for their husbands, and they all made the six-hour trek to the southwest coast of Vietnam, only to find out that the island was closed off to civilians. But the local townspeople pointed them in the direction of another campsite, not too far in Tay Ninh, a city only two hours northwest of Saigon. Taking a chance, my mother and the other women camped out, putting out fruit pretending to be street vendors, hoping they would find their husbands. And then, through the lush, green, beveled rice paddy fields, she saw him. Their eyes locked, each other's sight a jolt to the heart. My father... Meager and in tattered clothes, smiled at my mother. She had not left him. She was still alive. My mother, frail, eyes watering, breathed a sigh of relief. He was still alive. A friendly farmer advised her to start walking to not draw attention from the Vietcom officers. So she walked, and from across the field, he walked beside her, step by step, together, still together. A Viet Cong officer spotted their interaction, and my father ran to him, begging him to allow my mother to stay, trying to place any potential harm on himself. A Vietnam officer was kind, my dad says. He let my parents have a few minutes. So they held each other, quietly crying into each other's arms, relieved but unsure if they would ever see each other again. Those fleeting five minutes ended too soon. My father loosened his embrace and had to leave my mother, and she watched him, skin and bones, till away at the soil under the hot Vietnam sun, now more determined than ever to get her family out of the country. Shortly after, the Viet Cong allowed for supervised visits for those imprisoned. My parents were told that the only way anyone could be released is if they were sponsored. My mother spent the next six months befriending the wife of a well-respected judge, who eventually asked her to be their child's nanny. 
She worked overtime to have enough money to shower the children with gifts while caring for them as if they were her own. My mother shared everything with this family, without any hesitation, and one day, riddled with guilt and gratitude, the woman asked my mother how she could return her generosity. My mother had been waiting for this moment. She asked if her husband, the judge, could write a letter for my father to be released. The judge's wife resisted and hesitated at first, but eventually asked her husband for the letter. He wrote it without pause, claiming my father was his nephew, a risk he was willing to take on for how indebted he felt to my mother for her love and care for their family. My mother started putting out all her plans for the last two and a half years into motion, from acquiring fake IDs to grabbing the stockpile of cash she had saved to pay for their exit from the country. My parents left in the middle of the night in the bowels of a small fishing boat, navigating tumultuous waters that were filled with violent Thai pirates and unforgiving waves. But they survived and eventually landed in the United States. Freedom. Freedom. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Freedom. After what we live, okay, what I, I endure in the camp of concentration, I see the freedom is the most important thing in life. And uh, that's where I see what, whatever we did, we did in order to, for us to get the freedom outside of Vietnam. And fortunately, we got it. We had the freedom after all. You know, the moment that we, we get into the boat, get, get out of the um, Vietnam, I had so big relief that I can breathe. And I say, at that time, we get out of Vietnam, I say, now I can die. If I have to die, I can die, die of freedom. I've heard my parents' story many times in bits and pieces. For as many times as I've heard it, I'm still in awe of what they both endured for each other, for our family. That is the type of love and marriage I have always aspired to because I knew it was possible. And as epic as their love story is, what I find most humbling and endearing is that my parents themselves cannot believe they survived chalking it up to lots of luck, fate, God, and of course, their love and loyalty to each other. What we went through and we got succeeded because of some very powerful almighty look over us. So I think if we stay honest and we work hard, uh, we determined to reach what uh, we want our goal, then we'll get there. When I ask them what they love the most about each other, my father is effusive, romantic, and articulate. What I love the most from your mom is uh, her love to the family and uh, the, the will to sacrifice everything for the family, for me, for you, Hui and Kim, and for 
the little crazy boys. On top of that, she loves to help other people when she has the opportunity, and uh, that love gives her the determination to complete that whatever she set out for her, and that's the greatest love of all. My mom can't really describe her love for my dad. Mẹ nói thật, mẹ thương bố bởi vì mẹ thương bố vậy thôi à? I just do, she says, plain and simple. Từ từ lúc mẹ còn trẻ, từ lúc mẹ mới bắt đầu in love với bố là mẹ cái tình thương đó cho tới bây giờ mẹ vẫn như vậy vậy thôi. You know that's still a mystery to me. Why she loves me? Why she chose me? when there are other, a lot better candidates around her. You understand? It's still mystery to me because I don't deserve that. No, you you do. But I don't know. I don't know. I cannot tell you whatever a dead love that is. I cannot say. So that can take it a mystery. Yeah, don't worry. It will tell me. <laughs> As I reflect on my parents' relationship, I am most struck by the joy and laughter that they have for each other and of life despite what they have been through. Perhaps that joy is the true secret of what has gotten them to this golden year of marriage. When my father says they might have 25 more years left in them, my mother replies saying she's too tired for that. And they both laugh. <laughs> Thank you to the Thai family for sharing a little part of your story with us. If you'd like to connect with Kim, follow our Instagram at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under episode number 52. This episode was directed and produced by Kim Thai. Sound design and editing by Jess Kaufman. If you would like to learn more about your family's diaspora story, check out our conversation kit at www.vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash share. It's a deck of cards with questions in both English and Vietnamese to help you start the conversation. You can also check out our website for more stories and resources on how you can participate and share your story. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to support our mission, please consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website. Your support helps independent shows like ours continue to amplify stories from our community. And please take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback wherever you listen to the podcast.